재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Time for News Digest. Let's get some analysis on some of the major issues over the past week. And we're going to be joined by a pair of panelists. First, our good friend from Hongik University, law professor Cho h e e k y o u n g Hello. Hello, Henry. Thank you so much for joining us as always, Professor Cho. A bit of a controversy here, some perhaps undue lobbying, maybe money being uh, passed uh, back and forth uh, between two major conservative groups, the uh, Federation of Korean Industries, which is a, uh, the Jebel lobbying group, and the uh, Korea Parent Federation, which is a conservative uh, educational uh, type of group. Uh, first, uh, what, what exactly is going on here, Professor? Well... It's difficult to know, but um, what's been reported is that between September and December of 2014, so about one and a half years ago, um, over that three-month period, uh, the Federation of Korean Industries have transferred some 120 million won to the Korean Parent Foundation through an account that's actually held in the name of Um, another foundation called the Protestant Mission Welfare Foundation, but which doesn't actually exist and which is suspected to be a borrowed bank account for the Korea Parent Foundation. Now, because of the fact that these uh, details are certainly by no means transparent and all of this uh, murky atmosphere giving rise to a lot of speculation, uh, maybe a lot of this is a bit... Uh, wild, but is there, there the, the theory about potentially maybe the NIS getting involved, helping the Blue House, trying to uh, mobilize all these people to advance the conservative cause? Are, are those all wild sort of hypotheticals? Look, you, you know, put your finger on it. This is very murky. There is no transparency whatsoever. All of the groups are essentially denying any of the core allegations that are put to them. What they're not denying, particularly FKI um, for one, they're not denying per se that they transferred the money, but, but neither are they actually um, accepting that mm. they, uh, they've transferred the money. But you know, when you think about it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because the, the FKI, it's a lobby group for the, the big conglomerates, the big corporations. Right. So why should they be funneling money to this particular right-wing group, the Korea Parent Foundation? Because, you know, what's got, what, what does demonstrations against the several ferry victims bill or, you know, calling for the dissolution of progressive political parties, all of those kind of demonstrations that Korea Parent Federation have led, um, you know, uh, their sort of, um, you know, activities in, you know, what have they got to do with what the Federation of Korea Industries Do, which is really to um, essentially uh, call for or lead uh, and protect free market and you know work for a, a healthy economy. So you have to be wondering why are they doing this? And as you said, this is why there is all these rumors about um, the NIS being involved or perhaps the Blue House. And historically, there have been um, many instances, particularly under the authoritarian regimes, where. The political organs have engaged these non-governmental um, organizations to essentially sort of put on activities that would support their agenda, particularly the conservative yeah. agenda. So that's why there are these rumors flowing. There have been so many major alleged scandals right now uh, during this administration, whether it's the uh, NIS 
uh, election meddling, uh, wiretapping, uh, these Hoanjong lists, uh, all of these things that are going on. It, this seems like part of it. I don't know if it really supersedes it. Does this story ultimately have any legs in your view? We just don't have enough concrete facts to um, determine at this point whether it, the story has any legs. Um, it seems pretty certain that there has been definitely transfer of money. Um, we know that it's been reported that the Korea Parent Foundation Federation has used paid for the North Korean defectors to come and attend their rallies, and they were paid, you know, per person something like twenty thousand one per attendance, etc. And where do they get that money? Because they don't actually have an income. The federation itself, um, they don't really do any real income generating activity. So they must be getting the money from somewhere. Right. And you know, especially in investigative reporting, which I'm sure you know better than I do, um, you follow the money and see where that leads you. And here it seems to have led to the the Federation of Korean Industries um, and. I think there is a lot more explanation to do and a lot more investigation to be done, particularly if it turns out that there may be some kind of um, illegal activity or breach of the law involved. Yeah. Well, um, it- I-, I could think of perhaps one other thing, which is if it turns out that um, the Federation of Korean Industries did actually transfer money to the parent federation, then it may be a delict of their duty because their own foundation is not set up um, Mm -hmm. for that kind of activity. So that might be something um, that the prosecutors might um, latch on to. A second one that I can sort of suggest, this is a bit more far-fetched, but I've been thinking about this problem this afternoon, and I thought, you know, the fact that you're actually paying for somebody to come and attend a rally, and they may not necessarily be believing in that particular cause, and our constitution certainly guarantees the freedom of association, which means that you can attend these rallies, but it also guarantees your freedom not to attend these associations. So Mm. if you're being paid to attend something that you don't believe in, is that potential breach of your constitutional right and that's for for a legal person like me an interesting question it is an interesting question indeed in the u.s there's a political term called astroturfing uh, meaning pretending something is a grassroots movement but actually kind of uh, having a lot of uh, key moneyed interests involved in trying to creating that sort of atmosphere Uh, staying with uh, some interesting things with politics elections have consequences if you wanted the government to control what your textbooks had to to say you uh, voted in 2012 for that end. If you didn't like that, uh, you certainly made a statement during these uh, recent general elections. The two major opposition parties are now saying they will cooperate in trying to block this implementation of state-run history books. Um, first, I guess, outline this. How how would they go about doing this? To block the history books? Yeah. Well, the two opposition parties have um, are saying that they will issue a resolution um, calling for the ban of the government-issued textbook. Um, an easier way might be to actually pass a law which essentially prohibits the government-issued textbook to be used. But because they lack the three-fifths majority which um, this particular issue requires for any such bill to pass, it's unlikely to happen. Mm. And so I think their tactic is essentially to put a lot of pressure um, on the, the, the 
team that's actually writing the textbook, the competition team, and also the review committee um, calling for the standards and the review um, uh, criteria to be to be made um, public so that people can judge. And essentially sort of doing this kind of pressure tactics to try to um, either delay or call the whole thing off. But essentially the whole thing is under the purview of the, the Minister of Education at the end of the day. Right. And so unless the minister says, okay, we're not going to go ahead with it, then it's unlikely that the textbook would be blocked um, and its publication will happen in November. But what they could do is make sure that the schools at least have um, a choice so that they didn't actually have to, have to necessarily use this particular textbook and have an alternative that they could use. That's one thing that they could do. Right. So uh, I guess uh, barring that, it does appear then uh, to actually completely halt this, you're going to have to, I guess for the people who don't, don't like this, vote again in 2017 and elect a new president, right? Most likely. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, you know, short of the replacing the current minister, um, and there is no guarantee that the new replacement minister sure. would actually, you know, agree with the opposition party's policy. I mean, he or she most certainly won't. Um, it's highly unlikely that this particular textbook that's due out this November is, is going to be blocked. Well, uh, certainly some bad news there, but interesting to see how uh, the landscape has shifted a bit, at least in this contentious issue. We're going to have to leave it I, I there. Think so. yeah. yeah, go ahead. Oh, um, I just wanted to say, yes, I, I, I mean, this pressure strategy, we have to see how that's going to, um, that's going to sort of work. Yeah, they do seem to have at least a plurality of the public support there for sure. Professor Cho, thank you so much as always for joining us. Hope to see you again soon in the studio. Thanks, Henry. We're going to now get some more political analysis on how this new National Assembly after the general elections is going to be shaping up. And for that, uh, we have a resident political analyst from Asan Institute for Policy Studies, uh, research fellow Dr. Kim Ji-yoon on the line. Hello. Hello, Henry. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Kim. As always, we've got... The results of these elections, uh, all the parties are now sort of uh, sifting through what this means. Uh, who's going to be their new leaders? Um, who's going to be the parliamentary speaker? Uh, we have the ruling standing party, and I guess they are the ones that are in the biggest disarray. Uh, mm-hmm. They have to find new leadership. Their chairman, a lot of the uh, the, the entire Supreme Council, uh, their floor leader, all of them are uh, seemingly casualties. Who do you think uh, will uh, take the lead right now? Well, it's a really hard question. <laughs> well, um, they plan to have a, um, the election for the floor leadership next uh, May 3rd, uh, but the party chairman uh, election is scheduled in June. Um, for the floor leadership, I heard Ms. Nagyan Wan uh, has a plan to run, and also uh, Mr. Yugi Jun and Mr. Kim Jong-un and Hong Moon-jong, they all are four-time elect, and they also uh, discussed uh, uh, to run for the floor leadership. Um, after election, of course, there's a lot of condemning sentiment about uh, you know, so-called you know, pro-pop people. But yeah. when it comes to election for the new leadership, it seems to be a real the battle going on because you know this the election of the new leadership is possibly linked to a presidential election next year, which means that which faction is going to be a main actor in that big drama. 
So it's going to be really difficult for any of the faction to give up. So currently, even though tenure's loss is largely attributed to the pro-park faction, uh, but still the pro-park members, uh, they cannot really give up on that. So it's possible, I think, it's just my personal opinion, that uh, pro-park members may give the flow of leadership to non-pro-park people, but it's really, really hard for them to give up on the chairmanship in June. And about that time, maybe the post-election trauma is gone and mm. relatively healed, and all those that thing had probably maybe forgotten some way. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, I, I, these are all just speculations, but uh, yeah. you, you don't know how the Pro Park people will handle a, a potential Pangi Moon entry into the party <laughs> later on and how that actually affects with the uh, new leadership plans and who would be strong contenders for that. With the main opposition Minju Party, Dr. Mm-hmm. Kim, now they had relative, they had uh, good success. Uh, they mm-hmm. became, for a while, the number one party of the National Assembly, depending on how these defectors now shape themselves up. The uh, the, the temporary head of the uh, Minju Party, Kim Jong-in, uh, who's been largely credited with a lot of the mm-hmm. uh, success for this party, and there are people who support him, but he does not have that wide base of inter-party support. Um, this talk about now, we keep talking about the pro-no mm-hmm. faction, but there is this big now uh, pro-moon faction, the former chairman, uh, Moon Jae-in. Right. What do you make of this? Because now people are saying you got to reward Kim Jong-in with a permanent uh, chairmanship or you got to say, hey, let's talk about getting a new uh, person in here who is really more reflective of who we are as uh, party mm-hmm. members and politicians. Yeah, I mean, there was a thing that the members proposed to make him the next leader of the party without an election, but just by the consent, you know, kind of thing. Um, and of course, it was based with a criticism inside. Uh, it's a possibility, but um, it seems that, uh, well, Mr. Kim Jong-in is, as a matter of fact, he didn't really mention that he is going to hold the power until the presidential election mm. 2017. Um, I do remember that he once said that uh, Mr. Moon asked him to do so before he joined the party. That he just briefly mentioned that. So I think a lot of people are making okay. a lot out of that. Okay. Um, you were talking about the collision within the party, um, MPK. I don't really think it's Mr. Moon, actually, that Mr. Kim had a difficult time with. Uh, rather, it's out, other people outside. For example, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens after Mr. Ye-chan returns to the party because Mr. Ye-chan sort of stated after he got elected that he would need an explanation for mm-hmm. his having not been nominated for political reason uh, by somebody that we all know who that somebody right. is. So that might be a little bit of battle going on, I think, because there's some, um, you know, the battle for the political leadership within the MPK is between Mr. Kim Jong-un and these people who would like to check Mr. Kim Jong-un for the power. How is the Minju Party right now um, positioning themselves? Uh, they, of course, uh, have the largest number of mm-hmm. seats so far. They would like to continue to uh, gain power, obviously, with the presidential election. Does that mean policy um, shifts maybe focusing on welfare, but also mm-hmm. looking at uh, economic growth and trying to be sort of that middle party like the People's Party and uh, appeal to conservative voters in some way? Yeah, they um, recently they announced that they are going to uh, focus on the economic growth, and of course, Mr. Kim Jong Un is the person yeah. for that. Um, and I can see the point because you know we never ask the people to choose between economic growth and expanding social welfare by distributing the wealth. Uh, you can see the distinctive and very clear line between the liberals and the conservatives. 
And of course, the huge difference across age groups are, are there too. And those conservatives and elderly may much more prefer comic growth to redistribution of wealth. On the other hand, the liberals and the young voters, they prefer um, redistribution to comic growth. So this can be a sort of an outreach to all the voters, with, um, particularly that they uh, consist of quite a large proportion of electorates of Korea. And now it's indispensable uh, cohort to vote the win in the next presidential election. And also, you know, the current economic situation of Korea is not really good. So under this situation, it's much easier to discuss and talk about economic growth than the redistribution. Speaking of moving to the center or becoming more conservative, uh, Kim Jong-un also right. saying they have a task force. They want to try to look at the uh, policy proposals for reforming corporate structure or some of these other uh, things. The ruling Saturday Party Blue House mm-hmm. really wants this. Do you think it's possible they can come up with a deal? Uh, first, my answer uh, is not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, they talk about the restructuring, uh, which is a really weird word. Uh, the MBK is not, however, shifting its position completely because um, Kim Jong-un stated that it is sort of unconditional because his point was stop providing the life support for those you know, dysfunctional companies, which simply will aggravate the economy and not really good for the economy uh, in the long term. But before we tackle that, we need to prepare for the social safety net for the workers who will get hurt as a result of restructuring. And that's what he said. And that's also the difference between the MPK and Senior Party. But um, I think before he worries about uh, narrowing the gap between MPK and Henry, he probably have to worry about how to persuade trade unions mm-hmm. and also the supporters who are going to revolt really vehemently about the plan. And, and how are you going to establish the unemployment plan which can protect workers? And that's more the big question. So how he yeah. tackles that, and that's, yeah, that's what he needs to do first. And then now with the sort of intricacies of National Assembly regulations, explain about this uh, parliamentary speaker uh, mm-hmm. decision, uh, traditionally right. ruling party, even if it's a minority party, even if it's a smaller party, mm-hmm. uh, you, they get to decide. Uh, they're saying now that, hey, look, we're, the, we're by far the biggest force. Now we have another opposition party that is also uh, combined. We should select it from the opposition side. Now some senator people saying, hey, look, if we could get the chairmanship of some of these key committees, that uh, might actually be better for us. Uh, how do you mm-hmm. think this is going to play out? Well, here comes Mr. Anchez. <laughs> <laughs> so under the law, the speaker is supposed to be elected by approval of the majority of National Assembly members who present. Um, well, I heard that the MPK and the People's Party probably will compromise, and uh, I think it's quite possible to build a coalition. Like, you know, uh, speakership goes to, um, you know, MPK, and the vice speakership goes to the People's Party. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's when, I, um, well, of course, you know, Ancho Su can make a coalition with Henry, but you know, think about the, uh, the political passion and the voting block of, uh, of Ancho Su. People's Party, which is Honan region, and yeah. that is really burdensome for them to switch to the Senate Party and make a coalition right after the election. So, I don't know. It's going to be really, really interesting drama to see. And just final question, briefly, the issue of number one party. We know about these guys like uh, Yoo Seung Min and uh, mm-hmm. uh, various other political heavyweights who left the party mm-hmm. to run. They were successful. Uh, they want to become number one party again. How do you think that's all going to play out? Well, Mr. Yusuf Min today submitted for the application to return. Uh, this is only two people really controversial, Mr. Yusuf Min and Mr. Yun Sang-hyun. 
And of course, for the Mr. Yusungmin, proper people opposed to it and non-proper people support it, and vice versa for the Mr. Yun Sang-hyun. Uh, but even if they accept both, uh, it's going to be it's still they're not going to be the majority party. This is just the largest one party. And they first aimed like getting the 180 seats um, because uh, that can annul the National Assembly of Defense Law. And even a majority doesn't really mean that much in that under that circumstances. So becoming, it is just becoming the largest party by this somewhat artificial way. So I don't really think it okay. means a lot. Doesn't mean much. Then uh, you no. get the number one sign in next elections or yeah. what have well, you. Good but, luck. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah. okay, very good, <laughs> Professor Kim. As always, thank you so much for your analysis. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Henry.